This is a crowd podcast. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to Captains, the leadership podcast where I chat with some of sport's biggest names about building successful teams. Today, my guest is former Scotland rugby captain, John Barkley. Played with captains and they would talk great games and they're like wet flannels on the pitch. I got phoned to be in the Scotland squad on a night out at uni, like with my mates. <laughs> I, I was way out of my depth. Hi everyone, thanks once again for listening to Captains. This episode I'm joined by a good friend of mine, someone I played against many times and now share the sofa with when we do punditry, former Scotland captain John Barkley. He won 76 caps for Scotland after making his debut against the All Blacks in 2007. At club level, John played for Glasgow Warriors before making the move south to the Scarlets where he led them to the Pro 14 title in 2017. We talk a lot about that decision and what it takes to cope with changing circumstances in leadership roles, especially where you need to adapt and prove yourself in a new environment. He represented Scotland at three World Cups too and has played with some great players and personalities along the way. We caught up a little while before this World Cup, so that's why we don't go into too much detail there, but there's still plenty to get stuck into. Enjoy the episode with John Barkley. So John Barkley, the hottest pundit out there right now, and I don't mean hot, hottest in all aspects Very as well. Kind. <laughs> Very kind. It's question one, sir. Go yeah. Really butter up your guess. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I want to start in the earlier days. So a lot of our captains have said they were introverted, didn't really want to be a captain. And you were captain of your school side, weren't you, to the Scottish Schools Cup final in Murrayfield? Yeah, so you've yeah. been, what, 17 then? Yeah, 17 at school, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I you know, bizarrely, I was, I'm actually speaking tomorrow at this comment about, about leadership, and I'm sure you get asked it as well. And like, whenever I do it, one of the first things I say is that I, I never wanted to be a captain. Like, never. And, I, and, and people are like, oh, that's, did you not enjoy it? And I was like, I enjoy bits of it. But people have got this idea of leadership, and of course, at school, like you know, if I, I coach my kids' rugby team, who are, who's going to be captain? They like me, 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 me. Yeah. And then you kind of get to a point, I think, when you get to your development, you're like, actually, you you start to realise that there's a lot of responsibility comes with it. And I think that's what separates probably good captains, good leaders from the rest. Is that some people just think it's still that rose-tinted version of being a captain, and it's just the glamour and the the glory potentially, but actually. I found it really hard work being a captain. And I only did it for a handful of years for for Scotland, uh, Captain Scarlet's captain most teams I was in in some capacity. But like the grind, I've spoken to you about like the grind of leadership and constantly being on and the way you have to do it. I found, I found it really challenging. Why do you think, I mean, I got my opinions on why you were captain, which I'll dive into a bit. But even at 17, then you were probably showing leadership traits often without you even knowing. Why do you think you were a school captain at 17? What were you good at back then? Were you like a, quite a good talker do you think it was just on your playing ability what did the school see in you because obviously that that continued through into into your professional career I don't know I think when you're younger probably being without trying to get too carried away being one of the better players goes a long way and at school I, I was probably the same kind of size I, I am now when I played in you know high in six year at school so I played well but I, I think throughout my career probably the one thing that I did was I, I kind of I had an engine I would work hard and I would keep going, and I was I was looking back. I probably was almost professional when I was at school in the way that I trained and the way that I did things. And I was also probably reasonably unaware of what I was doing. 
you know, I just kind of cracked on. I didn't seek out positions of power. I, I was probably, I, I, I remember being young and thinking, I'm, I remember signing a pro contract as an academy player. My brother was like, you're not going to play for Scotland. What, like, what, what's the point? Kind of like, I was going to go and study medicine and be, you know, have a proper job. And Oh, was that your sort of grades you were getting at in school? Yeah, yeah. So you were like I a did, sort of A kind of student guy. Yeah, I did, I did wow. well at school. And I, remember, I didn't know you were that. I mean, I knew you were clever, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so, I, yeah, but I just, playing for Scotland was so far removed from what I considered possible. Um, and maybe that was what people saw at school. I kind of just, I just kind of cracked on. Um, I trained really hard at school, took it very seriously at school. Um, and looking back, I thought everyone was doing the same, but probably not. Like judging by my mates now. Yeah, yeah. So did did you go into the Scotland squad when you were seventeen or eighteen? To train? Yeah, eighteen, yeah, straight from school. That's wild. Oh man, look, I look, I look back now, like, that's and crazy. I literally, I hadn't, I hadn't played like, bear in mind, like school rugby. I don't know, in Wales might be slightly different because a lot more club rugby more than anything, so you're more integrated. But like playing at a private school, it, it, like it was it was good standard rugby. The standard was good, but it wasn't men's rugby. Like uh, and back then, you know, that would have been 2004. Like it was a t- it was it still is a hard game, but it was a rough game then. And I remember yeah. going to Scotland training, and I'd, I'd never been involved in a fight before, and being there, Nathan Hines, and I never never mind a fight, never mind seeing players on the same team fight. Like at training, and I was like, "Oh my!" And I remember, like, I was tackling, like, and it kind of carries on. But I was, I was tackling guys I'd grown up, like, idolizing, you know, a yeah. year before, or being at Murrayfield a year before. And then I'm in a, I remember being in, a, in my first ever roommate was Tom Smith, somebody yeah, passed away, who is like Fair the play. most intimidating. Until he's he's just silent, just a silent guy. My next roommate was Simon Taylor. And I'm like, oh my, like, give me a chance here, yeah, lion. Yeah, and I, I remember just being like. Just totally bricking myself the whole time, and I'm, and I, even at that, I was like, I am totally out of my depth. I got I got phoned to be in the Scotland squad on a night out at uni, like with my mates. <laughs> it kind of shows you I should, probably shouldn't have been probably shouldn't have been in the Scotland squad there. And looking back, yeah, I remember they saying, oh, you might get a cap against. I think we played Japan, South Africa, and Australia twice. I said, oh, you might get a cap against Japan, and I remember thinking, I really hope I don't get capped here. What you didn't feel ready. Oh man, go for my school rugby was like there's no structure mm. to like line out. It's all the all the structure, all the set pieces. Never mind like the physicality. The I I was way out of my depth, like pretty early. How did you feel then? You just showed before we jumped on here. You just showed a jersey which is behind you, and it's Richie McCaw's jersey. But you played against the All Blacks when you in two that like you just mentioned in the World Cup was it 2007 as a 20 yeah. year old. How did that feel then as a 20 year old playing the All Blacks? Because that's only two years later from what you're talking about. Yeah, but I think I think you you hopefully agree. Like the first the first dip into the water of professional rugby is like is like zero to a hundred. You're mm. just out your depth. You're learning everything. And I I remember a year in thing, and I didn't know if I wanted to play professional rugby. I didn't know how, how much fun I was having. All my mates were at uni, living this life, and they all were like, "No, mate, we'd rather be doing what you're doing." But then those two years, I think you learn a heap. And then I Absolutely. eventually, yeah, I got to the 2007 World Cup. Yeah, and then they announced me to play in New Zealand. And I remember just my first thought was obviously like, oh, amazing, brilliant. You know, gonna get capped to set a World Cup. The game was at Murrayfield. That World Cup was split across France. I think Wales were playing That's Wales. It. it was, it was a, bit, a bit weird. Yeah. But yeah, again, like talk about you know my first time at Scotland camp was with my heroes. Like, I, 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 I did like I had to do a case study on Richie McCall when I was in the academy. Yeah, you, you play against him. <laughs> I was like, no, like I was also very aware. It's like we put out like a. We pretty much put out the shags in that game. We had to play Italy five days later in like the crunch game of the pool. So I was kind of aware of like this wasn't the dream 
the dream debut. In some ways it was, because it was Murrayfield and family, and it was the All Blacks, it was Richie McCaw. I remember getting interviewed afterwards, and I played all right, like, given the context and the background of the game. And I got interviewed that, and they said, oh, you must have loved that. And I was like, I hated it. We got hammered. <laughs> yeah, we got hammered. I was like, and I think that kind of, some, I remember the journalists now, you get to know them, don't you? And they were like, oh, I remember you still said that, and we thought you'd be loving it. I was like, yeah, but you, I never just wanted to get capped. I never just wanted to play a game. I never, I didn't want to play one game and get beat by 40 points against the All Blacks. So... Yeah, it was a kind of mixed feelings looking back on the day. That's a testament to your captaincy, though, which we'll come on to, and you as a person, which I think what helped change Scotland. Say, I wanted, you're obviously part of a good Glasgow team in your early professional career, but then you went to the Scarlets, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit because that's been the best Welsh team we've had for probably the last 15 years, 10, 15 years, I think, because you ended up winning the league and went and did it the hard way as well, winning away from home. In that Scarlet's team, you're obviously a key figure and you're still sort of revered down this part of the world, you know, really popular player down the Scarlet's. You'll obviously be in this group as well, but you think back to the good boys in that leadership group there. Who were they and, and what were they good at? Why do you think you had such a good team and who were the good leaders around you? Do you know, like, I look, I remember thinking when I came from Glasgow, having, I'd been there nine years, and from straight from school to professional rugby, so it was all I'd known. And I thought, this is how it's done. You've only seen one environment, and that kind of carries into the pro team, given there's only the, the international team, because there's only two pro teams. I remember thinking it was so different when I first went out. I was like, this is wild. Like, and a In lot of the way? just a lot of the young, the, the lads were wild. Like, oh, the Welsh lads, yeah. Really. And they were like real, real hard on each other, like not in a constructive way. But I remember training and, and like in games and boy, and I was like, this is, and we weren't actually very good in the first couple of years. We were, we were pretty average. Um, but I think if I look back at that team and people are like, how is that team as successful as it was given that there wasn't a huge amount of resources involved? I think most of it was was timing. If you look at that team that came through mm. and then you fast forward to the Lions tours and, and the, the World Cups and the guys that came through that team, you know, Tyg Byrne, like who was Tyg Byrne? Yeah. And, and, and he came through and probably was on almost earning no money. Like cheap guys come through and all the guys that came through, like Cubby, uh, Fox was probably playing his best rugby, you know, Sanj, Liam Williams, Scott Williams, you go through the pack, Jake Ball, Ken Owens. Like, we had a mental team, and everyone was fit. And also, we had Wayne Pivak. And I think Wayne was one of the best things that happened to Scarlet's because he came into talk about leaders. Like, Scarlet's is a real, quite insular, like, West Whalian place. You know, I remember coming down, like, I go in a room and everyone starts speaking Welsh, and I was like, "Okay, this is how it is." <laughs> well, yeah. What what attracted you to come down? It's such a random move, like for a Scotsman to come all the way down to sort of sort of working class West Wales. And you sort of mentioned, I only found out from chatting to you before you you went to a boarding school. So when you say then you come down to play in Scotland, oh, yeah. which are all like farming, working class lads who are hard <laughs> each other, there must have been a complete shift in culture. Yeah. What, what what attracted you down to Scotland? It's quite a, I mean, a good move, but it's quite a, an, an orthodox move. It turned out all right. Um, yeah, but and I have to be honest about it. I I I I'd, I'd agreed to sign at Leicester, um, okay. and then I agreed, and then it fell through, um, and then I agreed to sign Northampton, and it fell through because their whole front row left at the same time, and then I had then I tore my hamstring off the bone, and then I needed shoulder surgery, and I and I'd been chatting to Simon Easterby, who's obviously now with Ireland, who was the head coach at the time, about going down there, and I kind of I almost kind of well. I pretty much went back with a beggar's cap. I was like, I'm, I'm in trouble here. It was like May. I had no contract. 
Um, like you say, like no one really moves within the URC unless it's maybe mm. if you're in Scotland, you might move Edinburgh to Glasgow. You, might, you know, the Welsh guys, yeah, you yeah. see them jumping around the regions. But I didn't really have a lot of choice. Um, I remember moving down there, being like, like say from lived in Glasgow, pretty sort of metropolitan city. You know, went to private school. I went down. I, I remember taking my missus down, and it is is a bit of a shock to the system down there. It is like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, it is. Yeah. And they 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 would they would they would own that. But like once you <laughs> once you get used to, it, I and that's probably part of like me, when I said I, I went down there, I was really taken aback. I remember like going in and like Phil John, you come in, he was in the injured group, and he'd been out he'd been out fishing from like three in the morning till seven in the morning, like before do, <laughs> before training. He'd go, yeah, he'd go in and it'd be like, there'd be like six pheasants hanging in the back of his car. With like, and I'm like, like what do I, I run into here? But then, and then all the young boys, like Gareth Davis, all, like uh, Reese Priestham was there. And they were like Such young. Such a good team. Yeah. yeah, you look back, they were like young. They were just at the start of their, probably their international careers, having a lot of fun on weekends, you know, really burning the candle at both yeah. ends. Yeah. Um, but the club was like in this weird kind of place of just kind of drifting, I'd say, pretty aimlessly, pretty happy with mediocrity, no real direction. And that's when Wayne, I think Wayne came in and as an outsider, like I was an outsider, definitely. And I managed to kind of get on the inner circle. I'd, I'd put Wayne in that same bracket. Like, But Wayne came in and like he was like, this is how we're going to do things. Like the, the, the old leaders of the team who were, I'll be honest, were kind of just there by name rather than, through any credibility and he basically gave them a chance and they tried to get him removed as coach they went to the board tried to get him sacked and he went through a bit of strife but kind of plowed on with like this is how we're going to do things brought the right players and brought in Hadley Parks there's another one who was Hadley Parks and then yeah. look what he did so yeah there was there was a few key instigators like Fox was there and he was a, he was definitely in Ken but the main, the main leaders were really just like leaders by example just hard like the characteristics of Kind of West Walians, I think, quite quite hardy, tough, robust, resilient, just head down and get on with things. Maybe somebody's not the best at problem solving would be my my one observation. But yeah, I think we had a good blend of guys who just got stuck in like real hard, hard players. I think you know, like Scott Williams, like one of the hardest guys I played with, like real like men, tough lads who who knew what they wanted but probably didn't realise how to get there at that point. I remember coming down to play you boys and, and you lads were the sort of best region back then. I played the game in Parker Scarlet and we were playing against each other. And I remember during the game, I got like a, a, a big whack to the face. I went back on the um, video on the Monday. Of course you did. Yeah, I got back. I, I got back. I was doing the video on Monday. I was thinking, and I was going to my game. I thought, oh yeah, I wonder if that shot to the face comes in. And I was competing on the ball and you cleaned me out good. And then just, did an elbow drop right on my neck and face. I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, I was like, John Barkley, you sneaky <laughs> bastard. And, but I do remember thinking of that point because I, I always I always liked you as a player. When you were, when we were talking about when you played the All Blacks at 20, I remember watching you then because I was sort of 18 coming through wanting to play international. But I, I, liked, I really liked you as a seven because... Not, not that I'm against the flamboyant sevens, but I quite like the more Southern Hemisphere style, hard on the ball, bigger, aggressive, physical, which is what you were. So I remember watching you play thinking, oh, he's a proper seven. Like, I really like that, you know? So I always was looking forward to playing against yourself. <laughs> but when, when you did that as well, a little part of me really liked it. I thought, ah, oh, nice job. He's like, he's a tough bastard, you know? Like, I, I quite like, I'm not endorsing your elbow drop for anyone who's listening, but I mean, but you need a little bit 
Um, which and I don't think you can coach it. Really. You need a bit of gnarliness, I think, to play in the yeah. back room, particularly at top level. You've got to have that level of resilience. But no, I just I wasn't sure if you remembered that or whether it was intentional. That's, that's just how you rolled, really. Yeah, that's yeah, I'm a pretty tough guy. No, I, <laughs> no, I do remember. Like I was never really that kind of player. Um, but then I remember coming down to, and like talking about like what did I, how did I want to like be known at the Scarlets and what characters, and I wanted them to think, oh, he's. He's fully committed. He's tough. He's re- he wants to be part of this team. And I remember yeah. the young lads then. They loved. And again, we're not endorsing scrapping, but they 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 weren't shy of getting physical yeah. and getting really stuck in. And probably something that I kind of realized you had to you had to have a bit of it. And it, certain players it bubbles over. And, and I never certainly bubbled over. But I remember getting to, and you get a bit older. I remember like as a youngster being like held down and people doing. And you, as a young player, you don't do anything. And I always say to Hamish Watson when he was coming through, he was getting picked for Scotland ahead of him, and I used to just go after him in games and hold them down and do horrible things. I mean, never did anything back. Never did anything <laughs> yeah. back. So maybe, maybe you don't need to be like that. Yeah, no, I like that. So say, what about the Scotland captaincy then? We sort of, you, you didn't get picked for the 15 World Cup, even though you were, I thought, in my opinion, Scotland's you know best back rower for the years before. And you didn't, you weren't involved for a bit, but then you said you came back and you came back in straight as captain. How did that come about? And were you happy with that selection? Um, yeah, I mean, I took I, I didn't get picked for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I had a, a bit of a run in with with Scott Johnson, who was the interim uh, head coach at the time, and a lot. Of, and I think my kind of name wasn't being carried in that good faith around the union. Potentially, that's what I've heard. What, what so, was that about then? Did, is it because I imagine like you like how you are now? If anyone's heard you speak as a pundit, you do you, you don't mind speaking your mind and you can challenge things. Was it because of that reason, or was it something else? Yeah, we, we played. So we oh, actually never spoken. We played South Africa, and I had shoulder surgery um, in the summer, and we got, I got picked against South Africa, and I, we, we got beat. We are an average Scotland team. This is 2013. I just moved to Scarlets, yeah. and I remember we got beat. Uh, got beaten well. Uh, I remember thinking I played all right. Like in terms of you got, it's just, you know what it's like playing South Africa. It's just relentless. If you're not physical, and we weren't physical mm-hmm. then, and we weren't, we didn't have the skill set probably to beat them, or the game plan. And I remember I got phoned at seven in the morning. John, can you come down to the team room? I was like, all right, okay. What's this about? And I went down. Like there's a chair in the middle of the room and like a screen, and all the coaches sat around me. I was like, it's random. I was like, what's going on here? And basically, like he's like, oh, you can, he basically kind of accused me of lying about saying my shoulder was good enough to play the game and I kind of just went back and said I don't really know what, what the point of this like it's just a humiliation like I don't understand what we're doing here playing clips of me like sliding off tackles or sliding off a clear out so I kind of stood up to him a little bit and it just uh, off the back of that I don't know if it is that because I was certainly playing well enough to get him picked for, for Scotland at the time um, but I didn't get picked for three years off the back I went down to Scarlet's and then missed 2015 World Cup um, when again I thought I was playing well enough definitely to be in the squad Um but yeah, they fought, yeah, fast forward six months and I was back in the Scotland squad. But Greg Laidlaw broke his foot and I ended up being captain like a year later. Um, and I think that's probably, I was 29 then. And I think I was probably ready to be a captain then. Um, and even still, I got loads of stuff wrong, I think, as a captain and how you learn, I think you learn a lot on the job as a captain of a, of a national side, which you have to because it's, it's pretty challenging. Like you'll know, like you, I, find, I found it a real challenge, but... Yeah, I, I was ready, and I, that's probably the only time I really loved being captain was that that kind of two, three-year spell in with Scotland. It's probably no coincidence that Scotland were playing quite well at the time. Like That's why I enjoyed it. So this is probably going to be quite a hard one to answer, and I'm going to sort of answer a little bit for you. And, and you obviously were picked as captain because you were you were good at it, right? But if I was to look from the outside, knowing you now, you understand the game, great player, 
good team guy, everyone gets on with you. They seem to me the obvious traits for you a captain. What do you think Vern liked about you and why do you think he picked you as captain? Um, well, first of all, I think it came about because Greg got injured. But then the fact that I managed to hold on to the captaincy when Greg came back. But I, I think Ver, Vern was, Vern Cotter, like a hard, like a hard man. You talk about hard men, tough men. He, he was one of them. And I think he quite liked the fact that I never threw my toys at the pram and I wasn't getting picked. Like I would come up to training every so often and I would train hard. Um, when I was in the team, when I was out, I trained hard. I think I was pretty robust. I like I broke my wrist and ruptured two ligaments just before getting back in the Scotland squad and, and kind of hid it from him. And he found out later because I, I just wanted to play. And I think he he put a lot of value in those kind of characteristics, guys. And Greg was like that. You know, he was Greg was a hardy bloke. Like he demanded a lot of of himself and the team and probably similar to me I, w- I wasn't the best player I wasn't the most skillful I wasn't the fastest wasn't the strongest but I think I probably got just about everything I could out of what I had physically so I think he saw a bit in that and then I think I, I, I think I understood the game pretty well I think I'd been through quite a bit as a player um, and I think I read the game well and I think he quite liked that are you familiar with the captain's compass that I've discussed? So, oh, big time. The four, yeah, the four. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got your four traits on your compass. What would be the four traits on, on your leadership compass? That's a good, this is a good question, Sam. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs> this um, years of working with you in the BBC. Yeah, I've got a decent question off, to ask. It rubs off, it rubs off. <laughs> um, do you know what? I um, Again, something I speak about, like when I was asked to be captain, I actually went away and this is how you know you're taking something seriously because as a youngster, you probably, I wouldn't have done this. I remember and when I went to Wales as well, I was like, how do I want to be remembered or what do I want people to oh, say nice. about me when I leave? Um and it probably started in Wales. And I think the first thing I thought about, and I looked at captains that I admired, mm. like Martin Johnson, mm. like, and John would say he wasn't that skillful. He put underrated skill, skill wise, but just like hard, like, was demanding of himself. And that, that's something I tried to. I don't, I don't know, I was the, the toughest player, but I think I tried to bring a toughness to how mm. I played and also toughness to like situational toughness um, when things were bad or not getting picked or probably probably more resilience is a better way to describe it then just I thought I was reasonably resilient Um, and my my wife says now she's like my emotions never really deviate from like a 6 out of 10 and quite level headed so (laughs) I tried I laugh like I can imagine that yeah yeah (laughs) so that that would probably be the first one Um, that's a good one the second one was um, like honesty and integrity um, again, I played with captains and they would talk, talk great games. And yeah, I can tell by your reaction, you've had the same talk great games. And then they go out and they're like wet flannels on the pitch. And you're like, okay, that's, that's a bit different to what we talked about before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was always like, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna say something, like I've got to be able to back, and I think that's what honesty is. It's like, you've got to be able to back up what you're saying. So I, yeah, I tried to do that. It's something that you get wrong as captain as well, and that's why I think captaincy is really hard. Because when you get it wrong and you've said the things that you've said, and you, and as a captain, you've not yeah. potentially delivered on these things, I found I almost found it a bit embarrassing that yeah, that yeah. sense of shame of why why I said this and I didn't have my best game, and uh, that that I found quite challenging. So being like honest and integrity with how you probably followed up your words with actions was was the other one. Um, I would last one consistency. Like whatever I said, whatever I do, like I've got to do it consistently. And I think as a young player and as a young captain, 
I, w I didn't do that. Like I would, you know, very up and down with how I did things. Like maybe professionalism would be in a part of it. Like just, just too young and too caught up and amongst it to, or I certainly was to, to do it consistency week in, week out. In what ways you mean? Like what diet, drinking or uh, training? More just like standards and like the way you behave. And I think that's the other thing about being a captain where you're, you're all, people are always looking at you. Yeah. And that's something that Vern said to me. And, and, uh, and he said, you've got to understand. And I never really considered this. And I don't know because I was just lacked self-awareness or was modest or a combination of the two. But I never considered that people were looking to me for answers or looking to me for body language or behavior. Because, But then it's stupid because you look back, I'm sure you were the same when you first went to Wales squad. Like the guys that you grew up would have been, you would have watched them on TV and you just look at them. See what they do, big time. Yeah, yeah like yeah, you just well, what are they like in the dressing room? Ten minutes will kick off. You just look at what they're doing. That's what people would have been like with you for sure. Yeah, but I never, I never considered that. I never considered that. Like people, like my mates in the uh, in the SES, and he's like, you got to consider that, like leadership happens in your shadow. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you, you cast, you got to cast a big shadow of your behavior, and if it's big enough, people will follow it. And and, and I was like, mm -hmm. I don't, I never thought, I never considered that. People were going to look to me all the time to see how I behaved. So I kind of realized if, I, if I'm going to be a captain, I've got to be able to behave consistently well. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and my guest, John Barkley. We pick up now talking about consistency and what it is like coming back from injury, specifically how to lead when you're not involved in the day-to-day. -day. How, how did you find that? Because I struggled towards the end with had, had the shoulder surgery, which I talked about, the screw, I had a bone graft, a lateral and the screw snapped uh, in half. So I had a failed bone graft in my shoulder for the last like six, seven years of my career. They couldn't get the screws out. Uh, and then I did my wrist, which they missed. So my wrist, I basically had played with a, essentially almost a cast on my wrist for the last five years of my career and got injections to play big games and I found it really hard to did my Achilles then so I found it really hard to like train physically to the level especially international level the, the training physically is so hard and I was like I remember that's when I, I found 2019 came back in after doing my Achilles I'm, I'm struggling here to to keep up but also to do it consistently and do all those things I spoke about and if I want to be a leader, never mind a captain. I was like, I'm struggling to actually train to the standard which is required. That's why I, I mean, I said that. That's why I find hard. Like, if you're a captain, even if you're not a captain, you see the moment you have a game, which is like, if you're young and you have a, an off game, people are like, oh, well, he's young, he's developing, it's fine. And you can kind of, you get away with a bad game. But if you're someone like yourself, at the moment you have in your own mind, say like less than an eight out of 10 game and the guillotine comes down, that's so hard to do. When you get older as well, what about best memories then as a Scotland captain? If I said the best memory, what memory comes to the forefront of your mind? Uh, my first time as Scotland captain um, was against, I don't know if you were playing that day, I say. It was against Wales in 2017. It? it was 2017. It was mid Six yeah. Nations. Six Nations. Oh, you beat us. I, I sort of won captain for that tournament. Yeah, that yeah. was when you beat us in Murrayfield. At Murrayfield, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. That's when a tide turned, I felt, for Scotland. But sorry, go on. I, yeah, I noticed then. I came off the pitch after losing to you boys. And I remember thinking, oh, this is a different Scotland team. <laughs> well, yeah, I think yeah. that probably was. And it's probably that period of 17 to, well, maybe now. Or 19 was a, a huge disappointment, obviously. But, um, yeah, as, as captain, the fact that I was playing in Wales and I had to live with the lads telling me, 
all week what they were going to do. All the Welsh lads who were, who were, who were sort of <laughs> chirping up. Um, and then just, I think, yeah, like, you, th- you always hope. And like I said, the, my first cap was at Murrayfield and I was hugely deflated by the whole thing because we got hammered. So the fact that we won, it felt like we had a reasonable team would have been one of them. Um, and, and, then, and moving ahead, I think the Calcutta Cup game at, um, at Murrayfield after, because the, the two weeks after we beat you guys, we went to Twickenham and got, I talk about like the embarrassment or the shame of, you know, as a captain getting hammered at Twickenham. And I was like, oh my word, this is, and you kind of, I, you live by the words that you said in the week, especially in the media. And that was a big learning curve for me. So 2018 was a big part of it. Um, that, that victory, hard to pick moments rather than um, periods of time. But I remember, yeah, probably going on tour when you guys were in New Zealand with um, the Lions. Um, we'd be Australia over there. We'd be Australia a handful of times mm-hmm. in Sydney. So there were some really good moments. It's a frustration of mine that we never couldn't could never really get it together for a whole tournament, or that I could never get it together like fully for uh, a full season. But that was maybe just the nature of the beast with the, the squad we had and the players we had and the art, where the, the team were in terms of their development long term. Who were the group of leaders in that Scotland team during that time? Uh, Greg was Greg was there. He was a, he was a massive help, like uh, to me whenever I was captain, and I liked him when he was. He, I was probably the same for him. And then you go through it. It was it was it was tricky because there were some players coming through that were kind of obviously. I, I don't know if they did this in Wales. Were kind of designated as or pinpointed as guys who might be leaders in the future. So they were brought into leaders groups, and we kind of ended up at one point with far too many leaders, and it turned into a bit of a there was a leader for everything. I was like, we don't, and I think it's probably, from what I understand now, most teams have really trimmed that down. So you don't need a, a leader for everything. And if you do, they don't need to be in every meeting. We don't need to have meetings for the sake of meetings just to figure out. So Greg would be one of the main ones. Greg uh, Laidlaw, sorry. Greg Laidlaw, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Greg Laidlaw. Stuart Hogg as well. Stuart Hogg wasn't particularly vocal at that time, but again, understood the game, had the experience, had the respect going through um, and it, it ran someone like Duncan Taylor who just just left Saracen mm, he was yeah, he was brilliant there were guys throughout but I'd say Greg would have been Greg Laidlaw would have been definitely the kind of the main other guy who drove standards who really got what it meant rather than just like oh it's cool to be captain it's great to be a leader he actually really backed up what he spoke about in 2017 I played with Finn for a little bit um, and he was really Finn Russell sorry and he was really quiet back then but in the recent years he's He's obviously been one of the sort of cornerstones to sort of good Scottish victories. Was he a good leader back then, or was he sort of finding his feet? And what was he like to manage as a player? Um, obviously, he's he's the, the most talented guy I've ever played with or against. I reckon, mm. like he's he's a, like he's a joke. The way he plays the game is complete opposite to how I played the game. He sees it so differently. Yeah, else, just yeah. sees it differently. But and I think he would probably say the same as a young player. He he knew he was the best player. I remember him coming up to like Scotland training. <laughs> like it's cold in Scotland, and he'd be wearing like his boots would be undone. He'd be wearing like a gilet. He'd have you know the big subs. <laughs> gilet. Yeah, training. me. He, he, no, and he'd have a, he'd have a subs jacket on. You know the big massive, and he'd be trying to run yeah. around and training. I'm like, I'm like, mate. Again, we talk about like he never really saw himself as a leader. He'd be like, I don't want to be a leader, but I'm like, well, yeah, you, you are, are, you are, yeah. and people are looking to you. So he. In, in parts of his game, I guess to answer your question, parts of the ways he did things, he was very, very professional. His analysis, the way he drove the team, I guess some of his behaviours he displayed maybe didn't you know didn't encapsulate that all the time. But I think he drove things the way he wanted to drive them, 
and I think you see it now. It takes a bit of time to, to, to mature, to understand what people expect of you. But I noticed that, like, speaking to him, and, and, he, and he speaks quite well. And he's still quite shy. He's not comfortable doing that, but he, he's becoming more comfortable in that environment. But I don't think he's, like, example, prime example, one of the best players around, but he would never, ever want to be captain, I don't think. How did you manage then? Because obviously Finn, you know, probably wouldn't need a, a second invite to have a drop of alcohol. And I used to find it quite tough with the Welsh lads because they were the same. <laughs> yeah. They love the rugby boys. They're professional when they're on, but when they're off, they're off like oh, yeah. hard. The Welsh so how lads did you? Especially. Yeah. So I used to, but I'd be like, oh no, we need to prepare and all this. And I used to, and I learned the hard way really. I sort of realised I had to give them a bit more flexibility and actually let the boys do that. How did you manage that balance of being captain, but also? giving the boys some time to have some social time, which they kind of desperately need, but also staying on that professional track as well. Was that a hard balance for Scotland? Was there a drinking culture there? I only said because there was a drinking culture in Wales. What was it like in Scotland? I think there is. I think most pro teams have that, whether you call it culture, or whether there's a, just a tendency or a desire to go out and have a beer. That was definitely there. Mm. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I like I like going out. like, And I found that sometimes a challenge. And talking about like consistency of saying, like, like this is what we're doing, this is how we do things. And then... Like we went, we went out. We beat, we beat Australia in Sydney, and we had to fly the next day, like early, like to Fiji the next day, and we were all like hanging, like hanging at the airport, <laughs> like properly hanging out our arses, like traffic. I got, I got upgraded to business class as the captain, the only player. I got Did you tell? <laughs> yeah. They were like, "You're gonna take it." I was like, "Fucking right, yeah. absolutely." <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I. I don't know. I, 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 there was always a balance, and I think we probably got it right most of the time. Like uh, we would, we would quite often keep guys in the hotel and say, "Look, let's let's stay together because you can get in trouble." That's the reality. Like you go out in the middle of Edinburgh, go in the middle of Cardiff, you're gonna the boys will be boys, alcohol's involved. You, there, there could be some trouble. So we try to keep guys in in the in the hotels, in the bar, or if we we're going out, try to stay together. And we didn't always get it right, but we managed to avoid trouble. And I, and I do think when the stuff kicked off with Finn. Uh, it was after I'm not saying that if Greg and I had been there it would have been any different but we had a really good relationship with him where Greg Laidlaw in particular would chin him and just say mate no like no way like the, the, so is this what is this when um, you meant he fell out with Gregor Townsend or is this just on night out you mean no I, this, so this year when he, when he came back in 20 I don't know what year it was 2020 when he came to camp and left because he'd been playing for Racing and wanted to have a beer and wasn't allowed a beer and there was a big you know I think it was blown out of proportion but that's what you talk about like like the individuals in the team and how do you treat individuals in a team when you've got standards and expectations and rules but you also want players to be themselves and be individuals and that's the, the I find that the, the, one of the hardest balances of being a captain is like well I've got to I've got to hear his voice but I'm, I suppose I'm also the voice of the whole squad um, yeah and I've not always got it right because I was listening to, we went 2019 we went to Browns in Portugal and we had a we had a middle of preseason for the World Cup and we went for lunch, went for dinner, and it it just got totally out of hand. Had a big blowout, but it got out of hand. And I wasn't part of the bit that got out of hand. But I remember in the morning, like you could tell the young lads, and I would have been one of them, being like, "Well, you were you were out on the piss as well." And I was like, "Well, yeah." And then it's like, "Well, what's acceptable? Is a handful of beers acceptable? What's a, ha- a couple more than a handful? Or where where do you draw the line?" So I probably didn't always get that balance right. But something that I think, in particular in Wales, when I was with Scarlets. Like Wayne was like, if you want to go out, go out, and that was always his approach. But he like treat men like men, and if you show up Monday morning and you're hanging, if you train, like I'm all for it. 
I remember we had a, we had, we had a chat after we beat Leinster in the semi final away in the league, and Wayne sort of said, "Oh, like, I don't know, maybe we should keep a lid on it, lads, and maybe not go out." And Cubby, you know what Cubby's like, James Davis, and he was like, "Wayne, with all due respect, we've done this all year, like." That's got, a massive win away at Leinster. Yeah, well. that's crazy. Yeah, massive. They don't get they don't get beat there. And he was like, "With all due respect, we've done this all year." So I don't know if he said, "Regardless of what you say, we're going out," but it was probably words to that effect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that, that was the other. I remember going to like going down to Wales and, and like the lads, they were like, "We we'll just go out and we'll front up." And there was some. There's something to be said for that approach as well. Like if you can if you can be a man about it. But the problem you have is when guys I think don't front up and. They come in and they're late and they're pissing and moaning and you're like, well, we've got these standards and expectations and if you if you can't have a drink, then don't. But if you can and you can front up and you can perform and like Cubby would have been that prime example. Like yeah. he would front up and train hard and train well and he'd, yeah, he'd go home and be hanging all day afterwards. But it, it didn't affect his performance. Like some players need that and Finn Russell would probably be one of those guys. He needs to let off some, some of the pressure and the steam and his release valve is maybe going out and socializing. That's what I actually learned. Um, like I know that physiologically it's not the best thing for you, which is why I treated everyone the same. I was like, oh yeah, but it's you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. You're quite scientific so, with like, yeah, I was like, oh, but it's inflammatory. Yeah, it's inflammatory. <laughs> it's going to delay your, your your recovery. So that's why I didn't like to drink. But then I realised that actually, for some boys to actually let them go out and have some free time and have a drink, they actually turned up on Monday, even if not in physically as good a state they were in mentally a much better state yeah that's so i look at like the uh the chicago bulls and the you know the last yeah. dance and phil knight and he yeah good he's talking about how they he and he speaks about it, and i'd read a bit about it in his book and he's like well i've got dennis rodman here like i you know remember have you he watched ain't going to cry over two days no ago, right? he, he was going, he was going to he was doing like <laughs> wwf he disappeared to vegas for two days and they're like <laughs> you gotta let dennis be dennis like we didn't get to that extreme <laughs> But I think there is a bit of that, like, and that's probably the more of a balance for a, a, yeah. a manager or a coach. And the, the captaincy kind of blends in that blurred line between the two in the playing group, I think. But yeah. you have to let individuals be individuals, but you also have a, a standard and a culture to enforce, essentially. And that's sometimes you don't get it right. Yeah, so you said that well. What about tough moments then? You might have mentioned one earlier. I'm not sure if you're going to go back to that or maybe that Twickenham loss. But what yeah. would be the, the tough, toughest moments maybe as the Scotland captain? Yeah, twenty seventeen is like that was uh, my third game as captain. We'd beaten beaten Ireland in the first game. It would beat you second. We lost to France with a bonus point, and then we beat Italy, and we had to go to England. So we had a triple crown. We hadn't played for a triple crown for years, and we got annihilated. Like, and I, I don't know if you played in games before where it's like from minute one we were twenty eight nil down after twenty minutes, and it was like, and I know it's possible. And then it went to 30-odd, and I was like... And that's probably one of the few times as a player, I really... Uh, I, I, just, I don't say let myself down, but I just went on a, like a manhunt to just be an absolute nose. And I was like, I'm gonna, if we're getting hammered, I'm going to go out fighting here. Yeah. Not in a good way, though. And I, I lost my head. And it kind of stuck with me. It was probably a good learning experience. I, I, my missus doesn't go to many games, right? She's, she's been to all the games. I remember she said after, she's never seen me behave or look like that in a game like and she was she was like crying. What, just angry you mean? just angry and like she could tell like that feeling of you know you're so angry you almost like want to cry like you feel yeah. that like prickling up through and that sat with me for like a full year and that's why one of my best memories was probably 2018 because i kind of i kind of sat on that for a long time around like how how it how the game had panned out how we played how i led and played 
the behaviors of some of the England lads and so some of the words that were said. So that kind of sat sort of tucked away for a full year. Um, other bad memories. Um, the, the first game of the 2018 Six Nations against you guys, it was at the, at, at the Principality oh, yeah. and we'd come off the back of a, you know, we'd be in. Your favorites come down and beat well, us. Yeah, it was the first it, yeah. year, my first year as captain and there's a learning in there. Like you go to the media days, which you did as the, as the captain and, and it was, and we just got like, we just got totally outplayed and, and dominated. Um, and again, then you have to face the music as captain. You go out and you, you do genuinely feel that you're going to win the game. You talk about it, you've had a good week, we trained well. We were missing a few important players, but I mean, my word, that was again, just, I think it was 20, I think it was 28-3 or so, 28-0 or it was a hammering. Um, but yeah, I mean, apart from that, I think there was, there was a lot of good memories, you know, I, I look back. Yeah, could, could we have? You know, we after we beat it was twenty eighteen. We we're in a good spot. We we got beat a few guys. We beat France. We beat England, and we go, we go to Ireland. We, so we never had that. We never went three in a row as a cat, and that was probably the biggest frustration. I could never get the guys or myself or the team were just weren't ready to take that step to really be competitive. And I think that's where they are now. You see the team now. Like yeah. there's a bit of a step between Ireland and France and the rest, but I think Scotland have managed to keep pushing in the right direction. That's probably one of the biggest frustrations that I never, I was never able to do that in a Scotland jersey, whether it was for one reason or another. When you were talking about that Scotland-England game, what would you do differently now? You said you sort of learned a lot from that game. What would you do differently and how would you behave differently? I remember I, we were staying at a hotel. I don't know if you, you said, it's one down by the the river in, in England. We were before the game and, I was, and we did like a team walk and we'd beaten, you guys beat four and we were in pretty good shape. Um, I'm a Vern, and Vern had a pretty good sense of like his finger on the pulse, and he was like, "I don't feel good about this at all," and I didn't either. This uh, is the morning of morning of the game. Yeah. Guys were kind of pissing around, and there wasn't that kind of. Do you know you can just tell? You can tell, I think. And sometimes yeah. you're wrong. Sometimes you can be totally wrong, and you go out and it's fine. And that's something I learned in Wales. Sometimes it was super relaxed, and then bang, the guys could switch on, but. Um, but in terms of my own individual stuff on on the day, and that's what you try and explain to people. You say, "Well, what what could you do?" And it's like, "Well, you know, it's like we're twenty eight and nil down. There's eighty five. You can say it's such a hard place to be. It's eighty five thousand people there. You got thirty seconds, and your your heart rate's one hundred and eighty beats a minute, and you everyone kind of knows you've lost, and there's sixty minutes to go. And you're like, what? and then you're under the post again, and you have to speak again." And that was the hardest thing. I was like, you'd say something like, guys, even was like 14, like, lads, we're fine here. Don't worry. I know you mean, it always feels like it carries no weight because it's always yeah. just proved wrong within five minutes. Well, that, yeah. that was the hardest thing. So probably understanding that you can't, it sounds really negative. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to crack on and like words that at that point mean very, very little. I think that was probably the, the steepest learning curve for almost anyone in that team was actually, you know, you, you can say what you want, but if you don't get detail right, uh, you know, technically and tactically, you don't get detail right. Like you can have steam coming out you as all you want, but like we're not going to be close. Yeah, yeah. And that that yeah. was it was a really steep one for me, and I had to face the music afterwards. And yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty bleak. That's like talk about leadership being lonely. I remember I didn't sleep for like three days. I was like, this is just miserable. And you got to play the next week. You got to front up the next week and try and play. Oh, I'm I'm asking that because I'm actually interested because I remember that happened to me so many occasions. You're under the sticks and you're walking towards the group and they're sort of diving into water bottles and you have like sort of 10 metres as you walk over and think, what the hell do I say now?
So say 2023 World Cup, how do you think Scotland are shaping up for that and how excited are you for their chances, given that they've had such a good competitive Six Nations campaign? I, I, like I I said, we do, you know, we do the BBC and we watch the games and I'm like in the position, a very fortunate position to watch the game and call the games. But I'm like a fan and that's where some people get yeah. confused with what you say because as a pundit, you've got to call the game and you have to be honest with how you see the game because if not, people can see through it pretty quickly. So you have to be harsh sometimes. You have to be harsh on the team and when it's not good enough, you have to say what you see to give yourself any credibility as a pundit. But yeah, I think they're... I find them a real pleasure to watch. The way they play and the way they perform, are they getting almost every bit out of themselves as a team? I think they probably are in terms of the guys they have. So I look at the World Cup and the pool is, you know, it's, it's pretty pretty bleak given the way the pool's, the draw's done. So they've got Ireland in the last pool game and South Africa in the first. So you're talking about two of the best teams in the world. <sighs> Can they beat one of those teams on their day? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like my, I went to three World Cups, and they were, you know, I got one game in the first one. 2011 was a massive disappointment, and then 2019 was my World Cups were all largely negative experiences. I got dropped after the first game in 19 because we played Ireland, we played terribly, um, and that was kind of the end. I kind of knew then, oh, that was kind of the end of my career, and I retired, you know, shortly after the tournament concluded. So. I never really got like you know you had two thousand what was it when you got you got to the semi final was it two thousand eleven eleven semi final yeah you know you guys had a real role and then two thousand even two thousand and fifteen you guys got, you know got a group two thousand you guys always seem to be able to have a a, a journey through and I, I think Scotland have lacked that they had it in two thousand fifteen ironically when I wasn't there so <laughs> maybe I'm the common denominator <laughs> in amongst this so maybe they'll do well this year um, but yeah they, they've got a good squad but you know as well as I do like you look at the, the guys they're playing against if Scotland get out of their pool it will be like an unbelievable achievement given what they face in that pool you're like me now you watch a lot of rugby out of the sort of international captains now that are playing which ones say if you could pick one of them for to play with is if you were in Scotland who would you pick and, and what, what do you like about him uh, he's not he's not technical well, I suppose he was something like Courtney Laws I always like yeah. quite like being close to captain and again probably just like physical doesn't look like he says that much I don't know him at all you you would know him better than I would having been on Lions tours with him but he seems to get on with it seems to be a hard hard man big work rate, you know, do this, you know, come with me kind of approach. And I, I quite like that. So I think a lot of the captains are the same though. You, you don't have time now to to beat your chest and give big speeches. And you don't see many guys really doing that. But I think in terms of consistency of performance, he'd be one like, he's been had a lot of injuries, of course, but when he plays, he generally fronts up and plays a real decent game. Yeah, you said about well there. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to to a young captain? Maybe say we look back on when you were playing in your school days with a national championship. You're 17 years of age. You see a really good player about to embark on a a similar path to yourself. What advice would you give him as a young captain? Probably don't be in a rush to be a captain. Like it's, it maybe sounds a bit negative, a bit daft, or counterintuitive, but actually. Like if you and I, my dad would always say he's like, like cream's going to rise to the top, whether that's as a captain mm. or as as a player, like you know, I didn't get picked for three years, and he was like, like if it's four years, you know, in Scotland you say what's well, four, you won't go by you, you know, it will happen. And I think as long as you're behaving the way you need to behave as a young player, just just go out and, and make sure you're doing everything as a player physically, you know, make sure you're training as hard as you can, listening, but don't try and be someone that you're not. And that's the hardest thing when you're captain is like, especially coming to as the new captain, 
and you came in really young as a captain. It must have been super hard to probably a bit of imposter syndrome about why am I yeah. the captain? How do I, you know, people aren't listening. So I was always like, just, you know, go in, be yourself. Don't pretend to be someone you're not because it'd be very clear very early. Good advice. Well, John, honestly, it's been a pleasure to get you on. Loved playing against you, apart from the elbow drop. <laughs> Loved doing it. <laughs> Wish I'm going to dig, I'm have to dig out of the archives. <laughs> we'll have to do it again back on the, one of the highlight shows to do it. <laughs> I'll find it for you, don't you worry. I got yeah, to say it on my phone. I <laughs> but no, it's, it's obviously great to work with you. I thought you were brilliant for Scotland. I thought really, I really thought you spearheaded sort of Scotland back to the forefront of world rugby and it's uh, I think people listening will fully understand why so thanks for coming on mate and um, look forward to catching up again soon cheers mate legend thanks for John for taking the time to talk to me I still haven't forgiven him for that elbow drop in the face which he still denies to this day that he knows about but I know he meant it I thought it was really interesting hearing him talk about his move to the Scarlets and adapting to a new culture. That is so relatable. Changing jobs, moving house, meeting new friends, it can be daunting. So it's reassuring to know everyone goes through it. Also, it summed John up when he was talking about backing up your words with actions and fronting up if things go awry. As we said, honesty and standards go hand in hand. It's all related to something that has come up a few times in previous episodes. You can't treat everyone the same. You need to be aware enough to acknowledge that people respond to cues differently. You can't lead with a one-size-fits-all approach. Okay, that's it for this week. A reminder, if you want to get in touch, email the show on captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk and check out the LinkedIn page. Just search for Captains with Sam Warburton. Next time, my guest is two-time Super Bowl winner and NFL pundit O.C. Uminura. See you then. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.